Well, uh, good evening, everyone. Again, welcome. And if you have your Bibles, turn to Jonah chapter 3. So we actually, Jonah actually gets to go to Nineveh today. And so I'm really excited about chapter 3. And hopefully, again, you've had a great day, great weekend. I just, I love these Sunday evening services. What a cool way to wrap up your your weekend, to be here, to worship God together, to hear from his word. So let me do this. Let me, let me pray for us, and then we're going to dive into Jonah chapter 3. Lord, thank you for um, today and uh, the ways that you've been at work in, in our life and in our church today. We, we thank you that um, every day you have plans. And uh, Lord, thank you for every person in this room. We could be doing all kinds of things tonight, and yet you brought this group of people together. And so I, I, I thank you for that, and I pray that as we look into your word, that you would use it in each one of our lives. Thank you for the, the power of your word, that it can challenge those that need to be challenged, and it can encourage those that, that need to be encouraged. And so I pray, I pray for that, Lord. I, I pray that as we read this and talk through this story, that we could see ourselves in it as we need to. Um, thank you for your love for us and your commitment to teach us in Jesus' name, Amen. So uh, I don't know. I don't know if you can remember school. I know some of you you're still in the thick of it, right? Uh, some of you it's been like me a long time ago. But I, I was thinking this week. I was thinking back to my last quarter of my senior year of college. And so if, if you're new around here, maybe you don't know my story. Um, I didn't grow up wanting to be a youth pastor. This wasn't like my dream to be a pastor. And so actually my last quarter of college, I was at Oregon State. I was studying civil engineering. I was just a couple classes away from getting my degree. And I already had a job waiting for me. That was pretty exciting. So I wasn't like worried about what I was going to do after college. I already had a job waiting for me. And so um, really all I needed to do was pass my last couple classes and I would be done and I would actually get paid for working. And that would be uh, amazing. And so I don't know if you've ever been in a place like that. When you're there, it's easy to look at the work that has to be done, and it's easy to feel like a lot of it is just just a waste of time. At least it it, it felt like that for me. And I, I remember especially I um it was a wood design class, and so I was I was really excited about this class going into it because I was going to learn about designing wood structures, and so I was like I was going to design buildings, and so this felt like it was going to be something that actually I was going to use. Uh, when I got into the class, what I discovered was that the, the professor, he, he decided to center the class really around this one big class project. And so uh, the project was to design a wood bridge. There was actually this national competition. And, and so they gave you like the span for the bridge and they gave you, you know, how much weight it was so supposed to support, all this different criteria. And, and then what we were supposed to do, we were broken into little groups and we were supposed to come up with the best design that we could. And we were going to present that to the class and the best design that our class chose 
shows we were actually going to build and test and send this off to the competition. And, and so um, I, I don't know if you know much about engineer people, but um, some engineer people, they just geek out about this stuff. I mean, I, when, when the assignment went out, I had some friends in class who were just, they were all over researching and calling people and just trying to figure out how to do this in the best way possible. For me, Honestly, my response to this assignment was, gosh, what a, what a waste of time. I mean, I thought to myself, there, there's no way I'm ever going to design a wood bridge in my job. Do you know that they don't really build bridges out of wood much anymore? And there's kind of some reasons for that. And so I was like, I, I'm not going to, I'm never going to need this. And, and so I remember we sat down as a group and, and somehow, you know, I got assigned this group and the group put me in charge of the group. And, and, and so I remember we sat down as a group and, and we had this discussion and it basically came out of my mouth something like this. I just need to pass this class. What is, what is going to be the easiest, least amount of work that we could do to get this project done and, and be finished, right? And, and the cool thing was is, is some of the rest of the guys in my group, they were actually on the same page. And so that's what we did. We just basically sat down and did the bare minimum, I don't know, again, if you've ever done that. Anybody, raise your hand if you did that in school once or twice. Yeah, okay, we're honest. Um, or if, you're, if your boss assigns you something that you just, in your mind, you're, you're convinced it's a waste of time, but you have to do it, right? Because your boss assigned it to you. And so it's really easy to find ourselves in these situations. And, and we find, again, when our, when our heart's not in it, like when we're not convinced of the value or the purpose or, or, or there's no passion behind it, that's, that tends to be where we go. We tend towards doing the bare minimum. And as we come to, to Jonah in chapter 3, what we're going to see in him is, is really a great picture of this as he, as he gets to Nineveh. Now, I don't know if you've been around over the last few weeks, but just to, just to review where we've been so far with Jonah. So Jonah is a prophet of God. In other words, he, he's amongst those people that were uniquely called to be God's voice to his people. And yet what we find in, in Jonah chapter 1, um, God's voice to his people, Jonah had a unique call, not just to take the message to his people, but, but God had called him to take a message to Nineveh. And Nineveh was outside of God's people. It was the capital of the Assyrian nation, the, the kind of the enemies of Israel at that time. And yet God's message to Jonah is, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and call out against that city because their evil has come up before me. And so if you remember Jonah, when he gets the call, um, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't go straight to Nineveh. In fact, he runs the opposite way. And so he takes off on a ship to Tarshish to get as far away from Nineveh as he possibly can. But you remember um, God pursues him. Jonah runs, but God pursues him. God sends a storm, 
In the midst of the storm, the, the, the people on the boat and Jonah, they conclude that the best response to the storm is to throw Jonah overboard, probably leave him for dead in the sea. And yet as he's thrown overboard, God sends a fish who swallows him and Jonah gets to spend a couple days in timeout. Do you remember that? He gets a couple days in the belly of this fish to, to ponder what's going on, to, to think about God and, and think about life. And what we find is Jonah, when he's in the fish, he, does, he, he realizes some things. If you remember that message last week, he realizes that, that, that he can't run from God. There's no place, there's no way he can hide from God. And God is sovereign, he's, he, he's over all things. And Jonah also realized that God had saved him. Do you remember the end of his prayer in the belly of the fish? He, he prays this, with the, with the voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you what I vowed I will pay. And, and, and then he says this, salvation belongs to the Lord. On your notes, you can maybe underline that phrase because Jonah admits it. He realizes God has saved him. It wasn't coincidence it wasn't an accident. God actually saved him. It came from the Lord. And what Jonah's going to learn as he heads to Nineveh is that same salvation is not just for Jonah alone, but God has the same heart to save Nineveh. And so Jonah, he's, he, he's grown and he's spit out of this fish and And that's where we pick it up in in chapter 3, verse 1. It says this, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And so if if you're new to learning about God, here's the thing about God. God is a God of second chances. God came to Jonah a second time time and he does this often it's not a it's not a one chance and then you missed it kind of thing God is often a God of second chances and third chances and 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 whatever he could have found somebody else to send back to Nineveh since Jonah didn't go the first time but instead God comes to him a second time and he says arise go to Nineveh that great city and call out against it the message that I tell you and so that's the call Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and I want you to tell them what I want you to tell them. Don't, don't, tell, them, don't tell them your own ideas. Don't, don't tell them the own things that you want to say. Tell them my message. And so Jonah, in verse 3, he goes. It says that Jonah arose and he went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, I don't know, I don't know if you're like me in this, but as I read the Bible... Uh, there's times where I, I come to places in the Bible and I wish I had more information. I, I don't know if you've ever felt that way where you read and you're like, that's all, and I, I want to know. And this is, this is one of those things because what we learn, the information that we get is that God comes a second time and, and this time Jonah goes. But what we don't get is why Jonah goes, Right? It's kind of like in chapter one, we, we don't, unless we've read the whole book, we don't know why Jonah runs away either. Um, and, and in the same way, this time, we, we don't know why he goes. It, it, it shows maybe that, that Jonah has grown in some way, but we, we don't yet know Jonah's heart in this whole thing. And, and the heart is important, isn't it? 
I mean, think about this for a moment. When you, when you think about following Jesus, um, we, we talk sometimes about disobedience, and we, we know what disobedience is, right? God tells us to do something, and we don't do it. Or, or God says, don't do this, and we do it anyway, and so this is disobedience. At the same time, we also learn that there can be obedience, but we do it not with the right heart, Right? So we can complete a design project, we can check off all the boxes for class, but, but, but the heart's not in it. Or, or let me just say this, teenagers, a- anytime a teenager is asked to clean up their room before they go out with their friends and do something, anytime, anytime that happens, that is, that is obedience, but often without the right heart, right? And, and so, so we can do this, and, and we can be like this, and so we, we come to this place, and we see that Jonah goes to Nineveh, but the question is, how's his heart in this? Why does he go? What is he thinking as he goes? And and what I would say is as you read what he does, he kind of reveals his heart. Because again, out of our heart comes our actions. Again, if our heart's not in it, we we often, we don't give our best effort. So notice what what Jonah does when he goes to Nineveh. Now, now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in, in breath. And so he, he, he finally goes to Nineveh and he gets there and it's this large city. In fact, a lot of people think it's not just the city of Nineveh, which we find out a little bit later in chapter four that Nineveh had about 120,000 people. And so this was a pretty large city, but actually when we think about him going three days to, to take to cross this, we, we, we understand that it's probably the, the Nineveh metro area. Do you know what I mean by that? You know how like in this area, if you go back east and, and they ask you where you live and you say, well, I, I live in, in Washougal or Camas, they will say, where's that? And, and so you, you'll say, well, it's near Vancouver and, and people will say, Vancouver, British Columbia, right? Oh, that's cool. You live there and you're, no, no. Vancouver, Washington. Vancouver, Washington. Where is that? Well, it's near Portland, I live in Portland. And it's kind of the same idea. He's going in, and this is a big place. There's actually a couple other cities around Nineveh. And Jonah, it, he, he only gets a little ways in. Notice this. Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey. So he's about, he's about a third of the way in, and he begins to speak. And this is what he said. He called out, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's his message. Um, it, it's actually eight words in English. I, I've counted that. Actually, the, the Hebrew, it's even less than that. And, and so Jonah, he travels all this distance and his message is eight words. I, I read that and I think to myself, you guys go to the wrong church. <laughs> right? Because we, 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 get, we get frustrated if it doesn't go 40 minutes. We're like, ah, oh, keep preaching, Pastor Bob. And so... <laughs> Eight words, just imagine how much we could sing if we did eight word messages around here. I mean, this is, this is all he gets. And I hear that and I think to myself, what, what a lame message. I mean, it's interesting what, what he says. First of all, he, he, does, he does speak of disaster or he uses this word over 
throne, that as you read the context, you realize that the people of Nineveh, they understood this as disaster coming their way. And, and Jonah gives them the time period. They have 40 days, and that's, that's all he gives them. There, there's, no, there's no discussion about God in this. There, there's no... There's no discussion even about what they've done wrong to deserve that. Isn't that interesting? There's nothing about what they did, and and this is because disaster is coming. It's just these eight words. Now, some people, again, they speculate that Jonah had to have said more. Because if you just read on, the people respond, and we'll get to that in a moment. and, And so people say, well, he has to have said more than that. And yet when I read the story and I and I read about the heart that we see from Jonah in chapter four, Jonah has grown enough that he is gonna go when God asks him to go, but his heart still is not in this. This is a bare minimum effort. This is how can I get God's message across in the quickest, easiest way and get out of there. And I read that and I think to myself again, I, I, wonder, I wonder how often we live there. I mean, just, just think about that for a moment. Think about the things that God calls us to in following Jesus Christ. Things that that maybe we've committed ourselves to. And, and just think about, is there anything in, in your life in following Jesus that if you were honest, you're, you're really, you're giving the bare minimum? So, so maybe we won't talk about Gateway in this way, but if you just think about the American church, for example, and just church attendance, regularly coming together, gathering with God's people to worship, what you find in America is statistically, it's, it's like the bare minimum. I mean, we go, and, and, and we go maybe twice a month. We go when it rains, and when the blazers aren't playing, we, we go often, like church is something we say, this is my home church, and yet we're only participating when we have nothing better to do. Or, or we do that like with a grow group, like we commit ourselves to a community of people and we, we, we jump in there. And, and then as we jump in there, you know, there, there's awkward people sometimes and they want to get together a lot. And, and there's this thing, there's this part of us that, that when it comes down, our actual presentation and experience with this group of people is just very, very minimal, um, it's very minimal sometimes maybe what we do with our money. Sometimes before the Lord, we are thinking more about what can I just give God because I know he wants me to give him some things as opposed to how much can I give the Lord to use? Like we tend towards the bare minimum and following Jesus. We can talk about Bible reading. We can talk about sharing the gospel. I just wonder, is there anything in your life where you're giving the bare minimum? And, and a lot of times how we feel about those things is we say, well, 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 again, I have so many things going on, so many other things. The world's busy, and again, the, it's beautiful outside, or, or the blazers are blazing, or whatever. We could just kind of list all these things, and we have these excuses, but, but I wonder if those excuses are just a symptom that the heart isn't right, that it's actually a heart issue more than a fullness issue. You know what I mean? 
For Jonah, as we read on, it's a heart issue for him. And so he gives eight words. But what's, what's amazing is what God does with these eight words. Because God, God uses them. So we read on in, in verse 5, it says, And the people of Nineveh, they believed God. So Jonah comes, he gives his lame message, and, and people believe. A lot of people, they, they called for a fast and they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. And so, so, so the whole city, they kind of woke up that morning and everything was normal. Everything was fine. They were just going throughout their day. Jonah's message comes and, and this message is so impacting that the city stops. The idea of fasting, they stop, stop everything, stop what you're, you're doing. And they put on sackcloth, this, this kind of demonstration that this is heavy, this is sorrowful. We are not in a good spot right now. And it's not just one person, again, it's from the greatest of them to the least of them. It's all over the city, so much that it reaches the king, verse 6. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and, and removed his robe and covered himself with sackcloth, and, and he sat in ashes. And so I, I think to myself, um, if I didn't really know this story, but I, I knew a little bit about Nineveh, about Assyria and how it was functioning in the world. And, and I knew Jonah was going there and I knew his message. If you would ask me who is the least likely person in the whole city to respond to Jonah's message, I think I would conclude the king. I mean, think about it. He is the, he is the king of the bully nation. Nobody bosses him around. Nobody scares him. If people bother him, he he has them killed. He doesn't even do it himself. He like snaps his fingers and guys go and they take care of it. And so I can see Jonah coming in and maybe a commoner, some people kind of getting nervous about this guy from this little tiny nation next to them that they kind of have been bullying already and they're not worried about. I could see maybe some of them being nervous, but, but the king, the, the king, his reaction normally is just going to be I, 40 days. I don't care. Again, kill him. You don't have to pay attention to this guy, but that's not what the king does. Instead, he, he humbles himself, doesn't he? He gets off his throne. He takes off his nice kind of royal power robe and he puts on sackcloth and he sits in ashes and he has a desire to lead his people in the, in the same direction. Notice what he does next. He issued a proclamation. And it was published throughout Nineveh. So he's going to write some things down. And he's going to spread it out for the whole city to see. This is what he says. By decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. His message is, everyone stop what you're doing and think about this. Even the animals, don't, don't even go feed the animals. Everybody needs to stop. 
You know, this is a side note maybe for our message today, but it just, as we were talking, some of the staff this week, we were talking about this passage and it, it just, for me, it, it challenges me in some way to, to pray for the leaders in my life and the people of influence in my culture, doesn't it? If you just think about this, like every culture, it has, it has leaders, it has influence, it has people that kind of set a tone and send a message out and, and people buy into that. So in our culture, a lot of times we think about politicians in that way. They, they set a tone in our culture. I, I also think maybe even more journalists and how that message is told or, or even more than that, famous people. I, I just think it's fascinating to me that if you can like shoot a basket really, really good or play a guitar or something, you all of a sudden have authority to speak on any subject in the world and people listen, right? Isn't that, isn't that fascinating? But they do. They, they set the tone. And, and a lot of times we think to ourselves, the people that, that that could never respond to God, the people that could never be changed. A lot of times we think about those people, don't we? We just think to ourselves like, oh, and, and sometimes we talk horribly about them and, and, and we just say all kinds of things. But, but the question is, do, do you actually, do you ever pray for God to change them? Do you ever pray for for God's work in their hearts, because as God works in their hearts, it, it has impact around them. That's what, that's what the Apostle Paul says and, and, and as he's writing to his friend Timothy. He writes this, he says, First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. And, and then notice what he says next, for kings. So we don't have kings, but, but, but he goes on. He says, and all who are in high positions, we should pray for them. And, and why? That we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it's pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Do you see Paul's heart of why this is good? God could change them. God could grow them. And that will have an impact around. We want to see people saved. And the king of Nineveh, maybe the, the least likely person, he responds to the message. And his, his message to the city is everybody needs to stop. And then he goes on. He says, let, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. On, on your notes, you, you might want to write the word repent. Because the king's message is that we need to stop and think about the urgency of this situation and we need to turn to turn from the things that we're doing that are evil and violent and hurtful and, and, and turn towards the things that are right. And, and when we think about this idea of repentance that's all over the scriptures, this is such a beautiful picture of that. It literally means to agree with God and turn away from and towards God. This is repentance, and this is why Jesus loves this story so much. Do you know that? 
that, that Jesus, he talks about Nineveh. So if you, if you fast forward like 750 or so years from when Jonah's in Nineveh, um, here's Jesus. And, and Jesus is he's teaching people and he's, uh, he, he's performing miracles and he's casting out demons and a lot of people are responding to his message. But if you remember from the Gospels, a lot of people are also really skeptical and, and the religious leaders, they're they're not really responding to Jesus' message. Instead, they're, they're kind of questioning him and they're trying to find out why is he doing all these things? What gives you this authority to do this and say this? And, and they even question him, Jesus, give us a sign so that we know you have authority. And it's really interesting what Jesus says in, in Matthew chapter 12. It says that he, that's Jesus, he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. But no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. He's going to talk about Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And so, so Jesus says, you, you want a sign? You remember Jonah? He basically left for dead and, and, and then he was saved and, and he's, he's released to serve Nineveh. And, and, and so here, here's me. Jesus says, I, I'm going to actually die three days, be dead, and I'm going to rise again. This gives Jesus the authority. It, it's, it's the proof of, of who he is. But, but then Jesus goes on. He says this. He says, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. See that? For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Do you see what Jesus says? He says, you guys are having such a difficult time believing me, responding to me. You're questioning me. You're asking me. You're you're trying to sift through all this. And, And he says, look at Nineveh. Nineveh had a really bad message from Jonah. And when they heard They repented. They turned. This is how we respond to God. When God speaks, we listen. We respond. We turn away from whatever it is that he's calling us out of and towards the things that he's calling us into. Jesus says, this is the picture. They got it. Nineveh got it. You don't. And so again, it makes me think to myself, what, what about me? Like, how are we responding to the conviction God is bringing into our lives? Like, we can remember that, can't we? I think most of us, my guess is there's some of us, you come here tonight and, and, and you don't know Jesus. And, and that's, that's amazing. I love it that you're coming to a place that hopefully you'll get to learn about him and, and who he is and make some decisions about him. But so many of us, we know Jesus and we can remember the time when, when God's word first connected to our heart. Do you remember that? When you experienced the conviction of the Lord that you needed to be saved. That things needed to change. And you know, that happens for us as God calls us into salvation. But as we follow Jesus, we find that that happens very often in our lives. It, it happens when God's word is, is taught. 
Um, when we're talking about God's word with friends, I, I can think about some of the times where I feel like the voice of the Lord has been the clearest to me. It's when somebody else kind of one-on-one is talking to me about God's word and how it applies right to my situation. Just even when we read it on our own, isn't that amazing about the word? Like it's described as, as a two-edged sword that can cut right to the heart of us. God's word is so powerful. And whenever we're seeing things, when God is, God is revealing things to us, we don't want to be like religious leaders. Jesus would say, we want to be like Nineveh. They, they heard and they turned. They, they repented. And, and, and notice God. Notice how God responds. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil way, God did what? relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them and he did not do it see God God's true to his character like if you just read about God and again again the scriptures it's like this is here to reveal what God is like to us and and whenever we're seeing God we we see him describing himself with some consistent words some words like God is a gracious God. He, he, he loves to give us things that we don't deserve, good things. Or God is a merciful God. He, he loves to, to not give us the disaster we deserve. God loves mercy. He's slow to anger. He is abounding in love. You know, the Bible says it's God's kindness or it's his character like that that leads us to what to repentance if God is like that then why would we ever run away from him why would we ever want to argue with him why wouldn't we be more like Nineveh who hears God's word and turns and responds and yet you know when I, I read this chapter I can't I can't not think about Jonah. I mean, Jonah just gave an amazing message. Like I spoke to, I don't know, a couple hundred people this morning. None of them sat in, in sackcloth and ashes. None of them, you know. <laughs> Jonah, Jonah did this and a whole city responds to his message. And the question is, how, how does he experience this? What's going on with Jonah? You know, um, when I, I think about my bridge project, remember that? So I was assigned this, me and my team, we sat down and, and, and we, we did, we did the bare minimum. Like it didn't take us much time. We designed this little bridge. It met all the criteria. I remember we presented it to our class as one of the examples and, and I was a little embarrassed about it, but not too bad because I just wanted to get done, you know? And so our, our design did not get picked, by the way. <laughs> it didn't. But there was a few guys and they had spent hours and they came up with this really cool arched bridge with wood and how they were going to build it. And, and then what was even better, so our class built this bridge and, and, and all of us were supposed to work on it in some way. So some of these guys, they spent hours working on this thing. I signed up. I, in fact, I was trying to think what I did to help and I think I was there during testing to take some notes. I don't, I honestly don't really remember. It's like over 20 years ago. But um, what, what's interesting to me is we designed this bridge, built it, 
tested it, submitted it to the national competition, you know what happened? We, we won. We, I, I was a part of the design for the national championship bridge design that year in 1998. And, and you know how much that meant to me? I haven't thought about that in 20 years until I was looking for the picture this week or even thinking about that. I was like, oh yeah, we, we won. Because again, we, we may give the bare minimum, but what we find is it also affects our experience of the whole thing. Like we, we maybe miss out on so much joy just because of that. And, and you have to come next week. Because you have to see Jonah's heart and Jonah's response to this amazing turn in Nineveh. He misses so many things. And, and so it makes me think to, to me again about, about my heart. How's, how's your heart? How, how's our heart towards the things that God has called us to? And again, I don't know what those things are that God has called you to. We, we talk a lot about how we're convinced that God has called us all to share the gospel with the people he's put in our lives. And he calls us to, to again, be a part of our church, to be a part of our community, um, to serve him with our gifts. How, how's your heart for the ministry that God has called you to right now? And, and, and here's the encouragement. If you had to admit that the heart isn't great there, um, God, God can work on that and God can still use that. Like I think sometimes we're, we're convinced that, that as we're struggling with our heart, that somehow we're going to screw up the work of God. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought to yourself, like God has big plans things that he wants to do, and he's gracious enough to use me, to invite me into it. And, and then we kind of get to this place of fear where we think to ourselves, I hope I don't screw it up. I, I hope I don't blow it. Or, or I hope my mix, like, so I, I work with a lot of younger leaders, and so most of our younger leaders, when they, they enter into ministry, most of their motives, they're mixed up. They, they just are. They, they want to be noticed for serving the Lord. They want, to, they want to impress the opposite sex and get married. Like It's just there's so many different reasons, so many things. And so sometimes I, I find that, that when we see those mixed motives, that the heart's not fully right. We think to ourselves, well, I'm just going to stop and wait until everything's perfect, and, and then I'm going to serve the Lord. And, and, and I would just say, no, you know, go for it where you're at. God loves to grow us in the process like he's growing Jonah and you're not going to screw up God's work right because salvation belongs to who the Lord like God does it or or, or Paul would say it this way and so in, in Corinth there was some people that are getting way too caught up in man's performance and, and so they were focusing on uh, on leaders that they liked better based on their performance like It'd be like if in here at Gateway that some people would say, well, I follow Scott because Scott has, Pastor Scott, he's got sweet hair and he wears V-necks, right? And, and skinny jeans. And, and, and so I follow Scott because he has all of that. Or, or over here, I follow Matthias because he's older and wiser. 
right? It'd be like, it'd be like if we're back and forth about all these things. And so this is going on in Corinth and it's dividing the church. And so Paul writes to him and he says, wait a second, what then is Apollos? And, and what is Paul? They, they're servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. Notice he says, I planted and Apollos watered, but, but who made all this happen? God made the growth. So, so either, neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Who does the work? God. And God, in an amazing way, uses our bare minimum efforts. But how much more are efforts that are a little bit further than that? Don't be afraid. Like I would just ask you, is fear in any way of letting God down or failing him, is it keeping you from the ministry that he has called you to? But here, here's where we really need to end up tonight. It's, it's this right here. How are you responding to God's conviction in your own life? Because again, God is always speaking to us. And conviction, it's not just a, a time of salvation. As we're growing, as we're following Jesus, God is leading us, challenging us. How are you responding? Are, are you setting that aside? Or are you doing like Jesus? Jesus would say, look at Nineveh. Follow their example. And follow their example because I love to give mercy. I love to be gracious. I love to forgive. So don't hold back on those things. In fact, I think we need to remember those things often. And that's how we're going to finish our service tonight. We're going we're to take some time to remember what Jesus has done for us so that we know that he's merciful. We're going to take communion together. And gentlemen, you can start passing out the elements. And, and I just want to remind you, if you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, even if Gateway is not your home church, you are welcome to join us in this. Because Jesus, on the night that he goes to the cross, he, um, right before, he's, he's sitting with his disciples. And, and he knows a few things at that time. First of all, he knows that tomorrow he is going to the cross. And he knows what it means. He knows that every single one of us, like Nineveh, deserve disaster. Like that's the reality of our sin. All of us, like Nineveh, we deserve disaster. And yet what Jesus was going to do the next day, he was going to go to the cross, and on the cross he was going to take disaster that is deserved for us, he was going to take that on himself to be in our place so that in turn, he could offer us mercy, forgiveness, his grace. And Jesus knew that as important as that next day was, that these men were going to need to remember that often. It's just not a one-time thing that we need to turn and so Jesus on that night, he took some bread and he, he broke it and he passed it around to these men and he said, this is my body 
which is broken for you. And then he, he took a cup and he passed it around and he said, take and drink. This is the, the new covenant or the new commitment that God has to not relate to us based on our performance, but relate to us based on, on Jesus' blood shed for us on the cross. He said, he said, I want you to take a drink. And the Apostle Paul, he, he picks this up and he reminds us that we should do this often. And every time we do it, we're proclaiming this message about what Jesus has done again until he comes back. That we should do this in remembrance of what he has done for us. And so this evening, we just want to give us time to do that. To think about what Jesus has done for us. To think about his, his love, his commitment to us, that he loves to show mercy. And, and maybe tonight the best thing you can do is just take those elements and think about that and be very thankful to God. Or, or maybe tonight it's, it, it's just to confess because you know that there's things that aren't right. But we just want to give you a moment to think about that. And then we'll take those together in a second. Again, Jesus, he wants us to remember. And, and so he, he took the bread and he passed it around and he said, this is my body broken for you. Let's take that in remembrance of him. And he took the cup and in the same way, let's drink it in remembrance of him. Lord Jesus, we just thank you that your character is to be slow to anger and eager to bring mercy. And I pray for anyone in this room that's, that's fighting conviction, afraid to turn. I, I just pray that just your character that we see, especially on the cross, would be helpful for them. That we would all know you again as a gracious, merciful, forgiving God who loves us deeply. And Lord, thank you that you, you don't just save us, but you invite us to be a part of your work. And I just pray for the motives of our heart that you would refine them and grow them. And yet, Lord, even in our imperfect things that we offer, I pray that you would use them just like you used Jonah's message. The gateway would be a church that, that responds like Nineveh. That Camus and Washugal would be places that when they hear your word, they respond like Nineveh as well. 
So Lord, we just thank you for this chance to remember all of this tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.